Welcome to Questions from the Closet. I'm Ben Shalati. And I'm Charlie Bird. Each episode, we discuss a question we commonly get asked as LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. We're not trying to answer this question or come to a consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives. Today's question is, how can I build bridges? Ben and I are not terribly diverse, and we share many opinions and life experiences. For example, we've both been bridge jumping. We've actually been bridge jumping together. I think, is that the only time you've ever jumped off a bridge? No, I've jumped off a bridge before. So if your friends told you to jump off a bridge, you'd do it? Well, you did, and I did, so maybe. (laughs) Uh, However, there are some pretty big differences. So this one time that Charlie and I jumped off a bridge, I was wearing jeans, because it was not planned. Yeah. So you're like, let's jump off this bridge. And I was like, I don't... I don't think so. I'm wearing jeans. And you said, let's do it. I was and dressed I more appropriately for the bridge jump. Charlie was bre- was dressed ready to jump off of a bridge. <laughs> I'm always ready. <laughs> I love that. Like, I'm always like, it depends on the bridge. Like, back to the friends jumping off the bridge. I'm like, yeah. it depends on the bridge. And the, the friends. friends. I guess that's it. Yeah. But, but. The, thing that, the thing that was embarrassing was it was up Provo Canyon. And my car was like a quarter mile away. Uh-huh. So I had to like walk back soaking wet and dripping in, in, in my jeans. jeans that's really funny it was not great and you reminded me while we were talking about this um that the i jump off this bridge a lot actually i think it's really fun i love the thrill yeah um <laughs> well actually sarah your best friend he jumped off of it every month of the year that, that year i think it was every week it was every week it was a lot yeah a- anyway um, well, yeah it was every saturday like even in december in december yeah but there was like a really violent homophobic slur spray painted onto the bridge and then when we went back together, it had been covered over in a rainbow. Yeah. So better vandalizing. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so mean graffiti turned into nice graffiti. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but I don't jump off of bridges a lot. Maybe I should more. I do like jumping off of things into water. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So we like to provide a variety of voices and perspectives. And today we're super excited to be joined by Michael Soto. Hi, guys. Hey, so Mike. glad to be here with you. We're so thrilled to have you, Michael. And we're here in Mesa, Arizona, which yep. is your hometown. It is. Yeah. Yep. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I grew up here in Mesa, Arizona, uh, in an LDS family um, and a biracial family as well. So um, really interesting kind of growing up experience in the church in a relatively conservative community and always feeling like I didn't really fit in and not having words for why. Mm-hmm. Um, I am older than I look. And so, uh, you know, during my childhood, there was no internet, um, there was no social media. And so the words that go along with the LGBTQ community, especially transgender, didn't exist really, even at the time. Actually, I think transgender didn't exist as a word, (laughs) Um, certainly not as a popular word. And so um, I didn't really have vocabulary for who I was. And it actually took until I got to college for me to meet LGBTQ people. Um, I still remember the first time I met a trans person for the first time and was like, oh my goodness, I'm not alone in the world. There are words for who I am and my experience and other people like me. And so uh, I'm a transgender person, a transgender man, I'm a queer identified. um, And, you know, I live still in Arizona. I love this incredible community here. Um, It's not always an easy place to live for LGBTQ people, but it's always in a beautiful and incredible experience of resilience and community and growth. And that's what I really love about it is because there's always an opportunity 
to grow, to learn, um, and to become more resilient and stronger. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you know, Michael, you you probably know this, but you are beloved here. Oh. Uh, when when I was talking to, to friends, like we want to record a few episodes when we're in Arizona, and everyone's like, everyone said Michael Soto, Michael Soto, Michael Soto. Soto. Michael you Michael Soto. Michael Soto. Like, All right, we'll do it. <laughs> and then I emailed you, and you're like, Yeah, I was like, We got him. <laughs> I was so excited when I got your email because I love your podcast, and I hear wonderful things about you all from everybody. And oh. so I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so honored and excited. Well, now we're finally friends. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and tell us what you do professionally. Um, so I work in the LGBT community in politics um, and I've done this for almost 25 years now which feels wow. a little crazy um, and right now I'm the CEO of Equality Arizona um, and I'm actually leaving that position for a new position starting next month which I'm really excited about working with one community um, another amazing organization uh, in the community here that works with LGBTQ people and works to advance our civil rights yeah tell us what one community does so One Community is an amazing organization. Um, they galvanize everyone um, around common interests and the common good and LGBTQ rights. And so they work with the business community, with the faith community, uh, with the political community, and with everyday LGBTQ people um, to build bridges, to work across the divides that we see so commonly in our society today, and to find ways to work together for a more civil society, for greater good, um, and for a more prosperous society, right? The, the core belief is that everyone deserves the same opportunities as Americans and Arizonans. And so I love that they work with such a wide group of people. Um, and that's why I'm so excited to join their team. Yeah. Amazing. That's, awesome. yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. So could you help me understand kind of what got you into this space? That's a great question. Um, you know, I growing up in the church, um, I feel like you know, a core message that I received from my family was that we have a responsibility in this life to do for others, right? To mm -hmm. serve others, to leave this world better than we found it, and to contribute in some meaningful way. And so, you know, service opportunities, scouting, all of those things were a core part of my family and my life. Um, and so that was just kind of how I grew up, you know, is that we did things for each other, for our family, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our church. And so I took that kind of into, you know, my early uh, sort of adulthood. And when I got to college, I looked for ways to get involved in the community um, and started, you know, getting involved in different clubs. I did that in high school. And then when I met LGBTQ people, I was like, oh my goodness. You're, like, You're my people. Yes. <laughs> and oh my gosh, there's so much that needs to be done for LGBTQ people to be fully equal in our society and to be able to, to live the full, prosperous, amazing lives that we should be able to live as Americans. Because So this was 1999, and wow. so we didn't have marriage equality. The archaic laws were still on the books here. And so, you know, the, the sodomy laws uh, in Tempe, um, you couldn't live in a house with four single women because it was considered a brothel. Like, <laughs> there were all oh, of these. Really? Yes, it was like a very old law. What did college students do? <laughs> right? <laughs> Good question. Well, you know, maybe that's why ASU has the reputation <laughs> maybe but asu didn't have sorority housing actually because of that law. really really yes, they had wow, fraternity gosh. housing at the time but not sorority and so so there were all of these right different laws that restricted our lives and that really deeply impacted lgbtq people and yeah. you know finding that out this was still during the you know the sort of height end of the height of the aids crisis as well mm -hmm. and so you know learning about the health inequities the political inequities it just felt natural to get involved and to jump in. And mm -hmm. so I started um, 
I became an active member of the uh, political organizing group um, around LGBTQ issues at ASU's campus. I was involved in student government. And then I just took that into my career. That's so cool. I love what you touched on there because I feel like there's this idea that um, like the LGBTQ community and LGBTQ rights are antithetical to gospel principles, right? right? It feels very much like not part of the church. And I love the way you're saying, no, because of my faith, because of my religion, how I was raised to serve and look at the marginalized communities in like value equality that's really what led you into this space and i i just connect to that so much this idea that like i i'm passionate about this because of the way i was raised and because of my faith oh absolutely i mean for me they they are extensions of one another right mm-hmm. i mean the greatest thing about god's love is that we're all equal uh, you know we all are deserving of god's love we are all created in god's image and we have a purpose here and that is just as true for lgbtq people as it is for cisgender and heterosexual people and i you know i believe that we should treat each other that way in a civil society as well you know we sister eubank actually when we took a group of um, lgbtq leaders from around the country to tour the lds temple um, Mm -hmm. as it reopened in in washington dc and we were in the ceiling room and she spoke to this amazing group of leaders from across the country about how important it is to realize that we are all equal and that's how god intends us to be in civil society and um you know in his kingdom and so you know for me they're just extensions of one another so cool that's awesome i love it great well michael we're here to talk about bridge building yes so what are some of the bridges that need to be built oh my gosh so many bridges in today's society i think something that we hear over and over again when you turn on the nightly news you know, you listen to um, any anything in media today is division. Yeah. And so that means that there's a lot of bridges that need to be built, um, especially when, you, you know, we're work, dealing with the political sphere, right? When we're talking about civil rights, liberties, and freedom in this country. And so one of the most important bridges, I think, is with the people that you do life with, because mm-hmm. there's far too much, um, t- there's far too much culture today around sort of cutting people out of your life that don't 100% agree with you yeah. and the way that you live your life. Like, and like canceling people who have differences. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's so antithetical to a pluralistic society, right? We live in a country where we're supposed to value difference and we're supposed to see benefit from doing life with people that are not the exact same as us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, I mean, you're talking about a pluralistic society and mm-hmm. that, that reminds me of the body of Christ. Like, yes. we're, like we're all different on purpose. And as we work together, you know, a liver is just as important as a heart and a brain. Yes, you know? exactly. And it takes all of the, the organs in our body for us to be alive, right? Yeah. And the same thing with society. We need people from all different works, walks of life um, contributing to a society. So what bridges have you been building lately? So I've had the incredible blessing of building some amazing bridges through my work uh, in the LGBTQ community here in Arizona and nationally um, with amazing organizations like the LDS Church, um, like the um, Orthodox Jewish Union, um, the Seventh-day Adventist, all sorts of very conservative faith groups that most people are very shocked (laughs) are in support of civil equality for LGBTQ people. Okay, so can we kind of dive into that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, please. Obviously, I'm fascinated with <laughs> the church. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, 
tell me more about this. <laughs> it has been such an amazing experience. So we, the relationship with the LDS Church and Equality Arizona, one community, and sort of our greater um, coalition around LGBTQ rights, uh, really started when we were working for the non-discrimination ordinance here in Mesa. Yeah. T- um, tell us about that. Like, yeah. what was the ordinance and how did it come about? So the ordinance was, my goodness, the result of almost a decade of work. Um, And so this was a lot of time spent with elected officials and leaders in the LGBTQ community and organizations talking about how we can bring uh, full and equal protection to LGBTQ people in the city of Mesa. And we've done this in many different cities. Um, It's, you know, about today, about half of Arizonans are covered by city ordinances. Um, And so that still means that half aren't. Um, But Mesa was a a big part of triggering that change. Um, We had the pleasure of working with uh, one community, with Equality Arizona, with Mayor Giles, um, with the city council to work on a bill together, an ordinance that really met the needs of Mesa. Because something that I really believe in is um, all politics are local Uh and the best um, law that's made at, at any level of government is made to reflect that community. So, you know, Mesa's a non-discrimination ordinance is not the exact same words as Phoenix's or Tucson's or Flagstaff's. And that's okay because those are all really different communities. Mm -hmm. So they should have laws tailored to their community and their experiences. So we, I, I really love the Mesa bill. I actually think it's some of the best, um, legal language around civil protections for all people that I've ever seen. What kind of protections does it allow? So non-discrimination ordinances, um, the ones that we work for, um, fully protect LGBTQ people in employment, housing, and public accommodation. So those are three really critical areas of life um, that make opportunity possible or not, right? So if we don't have a place to live, um, it's really hard to go to work. (laughs) It's hard to participate in society. If you don't have a job, it's really hard to participate in society, take care of your family and others. Um, And public accommodations means doing public life, right? So it's... It's things like access to transportation, access to emergency rooms, right? It's it's everything outside of essentially housing um, and and work life. So really critical part of non-discrimination. And what that just says is that, you know, it's a core tenant, I think, of American life is that everyone should be able to fully participate in public life. Mm-hmm. And had, had you guys seen that people weren't being accommodated publicly, LGBTQ people here were being discriminated against? Yeah, well, and as LGBTQ people, we experience that all the time, right? I think especially, um, you know, transgender people, people of color, right? We experience those things in multiple ways. And so um, we know that it's, I think it's something like one in four um, trans people are unemployed or underemployed, right? And so uh, we know that... Um, and the other three fourths are CEOs like you. <laughs> that would be cool if that was true. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, <laughs> like obvious disparities, though. Yes, huge disparities, right, that um, have actually a very material difference, not just in quality of life, but in how long we live, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, for me, that's at the core of this. I want everyone to be able to live their life, not only successfully and to the fullest extent possible, but just to live their life. And so yeah. that's that's a really big health disparity um, that we see for marginalized people is that we have a much shorter life expectancy. So how did working with the church play into that? 
So the church is a critical constituency in Mesa, right? And many faith communities um, are critical constituencies in many cities. And so we had this great, amazing privilege of getting to have a conversation with church elders um, and in Salt Lake and here in Mesa and saying, so this is something that we really care about and we would love to work with you because we don't want misinformation to be the thing that mm -hmm. keeps this amazing bill from passing. And we've worked really hard to create a bill that fully protects LGBTQ people and fully protects people of faith because both of those things are really important in American society. Yeah. Um, and so we started having a dialogue and it was really beautiful I felt that it was very beautiful because when we actually sat down, our values weren't common. We were hoping for the same things for the city of Mesa and for the state of Arizona and our nation. And so we were able to work together because we shared these values of honoring freedom and liberty for all people. Yeah. How did you get to a place where you guys like, like sat down, had these conversations where like, we have similar values yeah, that in our first conversation, we discovered that actually. And so we, you know, we found ourselves, uh, I think it was on a Saturday morning on a conference call and this was during the pandemic. So people weren't meeting in person, <laughs> but it was the first conference call I'd done in a long time. I was used to zoom. So it was a little bit of an awkward call because nobody knew quite when to talk because we couldn't see each other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, we got past the awkwardness and you know everybody introduced themselves and kind of talked about what they hoped would happen from this ordinance. And we heard that thread immediately of those common values, that common desire to create a safer place for everyone in Arizona mm -hmm. and, and in Mesa. And it became really easy to work for, with each other for, for that non-discrimination ordinance. So would you say that a core principle of building bridges is establishing values with the other party? I think it's a really important part. Um, I believe that, you know, building bridges is all about relationships and you have to sit down with people and want to get to know them, who they are, what they value and what their values are and see what's in common. And you got to, you got to take the time to do that. It's not an overnight thing it's so not there's some emotional work here there's a lot of emotional work um but it's also really fulfilling and so um the you know i have personally made some amazing friends that are met, are in the church and that are um in leadership of the church that i think are lifelong friends at this point and and you know practically family awesome. like i love them so much and they've taught me so much i think i've taught them I value that relationship so much. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, just knowing a little bit about what your work and your story, um, and a, a little about a little about all this was like these this working together formed these beautiful bonds. It did. It did, because we were able to trust each other, right? We were able to put relationships first and values first. And so we were able to have hard conversations without it devolving into division. Mm -hmm. We actually were able to have hard conversations that brought us closer together. Um, and that's the whole point of bridge building for me is that you have those hard conversations, you explore differences, but you always know that you have that, those common values, those common hopes and dreams for what you're doing um, and for, for your relationship and for the greater good that you're working. 
looking for. Yeah, I don't know if this will connect super well, but I remember the story of, of Nephi and Zoram from the mm-hmm. beginning of the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. And they kind of became friends out of necessity. Like, oh, oops, we all kind of work together now. <laughs> and then by the end, you know, Lehi told his son Nephi, like, like Zoram has been your friend forever. Yeah. You know, you're like, like a brother to you. And it's interesting that when we work together, sometimes in ways that we didn't expect to need to, that these, that these familial bonds can be formed. They definitely can. And that, you know, that was something that... I think a lot of people are still, um, especially in the LGBTQ movement, are a little skeptical when I talk mm-hmm. about this. Um, yeah. And I'm just like, no, you don't understand. Like, these are people that I would do anything for. Like, I love these people. They are friend family, you know, like they're a part of my life and I am a better person for it. And I hope you can build these kinds of bonds, too, because this is how we actually can get this work done. Yeah. Well, so I'm imagining a listener being like, this is crazy. How could this enemy of mine ever become my family? Yeah. What, what, are, what are some things that you would say to someone who's like, I can't see this person ever feeling like family to me because they're so opposed to what I believe? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I think that goes back to these narratives that we're getting from so many different sources that speak to us all the time, right? Whether it's social media or mainstream media, we're told that Right now, I think we're told a lot that anybody who doesn't live like us exactly is not only someone who disagrees with us, but a potential enemy or a definitely an enemy, a threat. Exactly. And I hear that a lot in the LGBTQ community that, you know, there, these people are our opposition. They're our enemies. They're, you know, people working against us. And I found the opposite to be true because when I sat down and asked folks from many different churches, um, what do you want to work for in terms of, um, you know, sort of a, a more equal society, a more equitable society? At the core, not only did we have the sort of the main values of freedom and liberty for all people, but when we sat down and started talking about details, they very much were supportive of LGBTQ people being able to hold jobs, mm-hmm. housing, live in public life, right? Um, you would be surprised with the Respect for Marriage Act. There are so many groups of faith, even conservative groups of faith, that are supportive of this act that codifies right the the existing Obergefell decision mm-hmm. um, because it also creates freedom for communities of faith to be able to marry people as they as they choose right and so there's yeah. freedom on both ends there so I you know I think it's it can be hard in today's society to not want to see everybody either as friend or foe but we have to realize that we're Americans and we are part of a common society together. We need to remember we're in this together. That's the first step. We're not enemies. Yeah, there's like characteristics or identities that unite us all. Exactly, exactly. And experiences that unite us all, right? There are things that we've, everyone grew up in this country doing specific things, right? For sure. <laughs> and so um, we have a culture in common and we can build on that. That's awesome. So I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more about some of these hard conversations that yeah. you had and what principles you took into them and kind of what you learned about bridge building. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we've had a lot of hard conversations um, about what equality means, right? What freedom means for all people. When you say hard conversation, could you like build that out? Like what about it is hard? Um, I think, good question. Maybe the assumptions that people, that we all brought Mm -hmm. to them, right? That that we would be against maybe uh, religious freedom or that people from the church would be against LGBTQ civil rights, right? Um, So I think the assumptions are probably the hardest thing. Coming in expecting to be on, like on the defensive. Exactly. And expecting opposition Uh and then actually finding that the things we believed in were 
the same or very similar. <laughs> so, so, and, and it sounds like what you're saying is the hard conversation, like the hard part about that is moving from this defensive approach yep. on both, you know, quote unquote sides yep. to like moving through that internal, um, like dissonance yeah. into a place of trust, trust and openness. Right. And how we got there was openness. Right. Because, you know, they, I recall like some of the very first meetings that we had, you know, being asked, like, uh, this is after the Mesa ordinance because we had very tactical things to do, right? So that was a little easier because it was like, okay, this is, you know, the the ordinance passed and now the Center for Arizona Policy is trying to um, repeal it, essentially. So we've got to show up in these very specific ways. And so that was that was a little easier because it was like, oh, they're very tangible. Oh, so to the do. ordinance was passed and then people weren't okay with it. Yes, exactly. Oh, um, wow. And tried to, uh, cr- tried to create a referendum, basically, to, to re- get it on the ballot to repeal it. So was and the so, ordinance passed just by like the city council it was yes oh, okay so yep. the, the voters didn't vote for it no they the opposition was trying to take it to the voters gotcha. and so um but i mean the voters voted for it in the in the form of representative or democracy where their representatives right. voted for it but um so we had very tactical and tangible things to do together to beat that referendum which we did um which was wonderful um and we did that 100% with the the partnership of organizations like the church right and the support of people of faith like the McDonald's and like the Giles family mm-hmm. um talking to their neighbors and telling them exactly what the ordinance was um and having those hard conversations mm-hmm. and saying you know i know you may have heard scary things about this ordinance, but let me tell you what it actually does and why I believe in it. Um, and I'd love to answer your questions then. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really impressed by the grace in this approach that you had, because I think it's important to note that in this system, you and like representing LGBTQ people in this area yeah. weren't really coming from a place of power, right? So like right. you're in these conversations and the risk is, is yours. Like you're shouldering all of that risk if this doesn't pass, right? Sure. Because you're the one impacted. Right. Where the other party really isn't quite as impacted. Yeah. Or or maybe not even at all. Because they don't I mean those protections already exist for them. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um and, and, and also as you've been talking, it just feels like this would be like exhausting work for, for you. Sure. Yeah. Like to have exactly. these conversations again and again and again. <laughs> like about your own right for housing or to life. Sure. Right? Yeah. It can be. Um, you know, it can be emotionally taxing but it's also really rewarding because i think when we have those conversations in open honest and vulnerable ways with people that let that let people who don't know lgbtq people right or um don't have this experience to see us as human beings just as deserving of housing Mm -hmm. employment and doing life um that's a big change for people um and you know it (laughs) it's humanizing each other mm-hmm. and and also giving giving uh, that human lens to the folks that we're talking to and saying i don't think you're wrong for what you think right now or what you may think after this conversation i'm just here to have a conversation with you and to tell you who i am as a person and then and then i'd love to hear who you are and what you believe and giving you know creating sort of that equal playing field yeah. i have a yes or no question for you yeah do you enter these conversations like with a plan to change their opinions? No, I try to enter the conversations with the idea of hoping 
hoping that they will leave seeing me as more fully human and I will see them as more fully human. That was an awesome question. And that's a fantastic answer. Cause, <laughs> cause you know, I've, I've found that to be like the approach that's been most effective for me. If I'm talking to someone who might feel or believe differently, yeah. if I go in thinking, okay, how am I going to change their mind? Yeah. That's a conversation that doesn't usually go as well as, as I want to really understand them and see them. And I want them to see me. Exactly. And I had this really interesting moment, like a, an older gentleman in, in Provo came to visit me in my office yeah. and, um, and he like had read my book and had a bunch of questions and, and, uh, he said to me, do you consider yourself to be an advocate? Mm. And I knew that word would be like triggering for him. And I said, you know, I really see myself as an educator. Mm. I just want people to, I want to teach people what I've seen, what I've experienced and what I've seen, uh, in other places, you know, similar people experience. He said, I love that because I love learning. Mm. And, and, you know, we were able to have this really beautiful conversation with someone who might have seemed like an opponent. Yeah. Um, but really we, you know, left the conversation as really good friends and we've actually spent time together since then. Oh, I love and, that. and so, you know, what you're saying is exactly right. If we, if we can enter these conversations, like trying to be seen and to see the other person, like that's really where the magic happens. It is. I mean, you know, in, in my first conversations in Salt Lake with church leadership, right. That's what we did, right. Is that we, we went in with the goal, like Angela and I and the rest of our team met that morning at breakfast and we were like, all right, what do we want from today? Right. And the biggest goal was to let the folks that we were meeting with throughout the day, see us as human beings and as people Mm -hmm. and for us to see them as that. And, you know, it it was such a beautiful experience. We had this wonderful transformative experience. It's always fun for me to see people that didn't grow up in the church, learn about the church. So seeing my colleagues learning about the church, yeah, it was so fun. Um, but we, you know, we had missionaries with us that day and we had, uh, our folks from Arizona, like Elder Schmidt, right. And, um, Elder Barney and, um, just amazing people with us, um, meeting people, you know, from all over throughout the day. And I will, I will always remember when we went back for the Christmas concert with, again, with a big group of LGBTQ leaders from around the country, our missionaries were there, came up, gave us huge hugs, right? All of these folks that we had met that first visit to Salt Lake in the church walked up to us, gave us hugs. So they were so happy to see all of us and then wanted to meet the new people we brought. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) this, right. This is, this is relationship. This is friendship. This is community. I wish this is how everyone treated each other. Right. Yeah. I keep coming back to like this, like analogy or like this, like symbolism in my mind of like war, right? Like, like shields defensive. And it, and it just sounds like that, what you're describing is just like the trust and openness of like, okay. So I'm, I'm picturing my head like these two sides and everyone like has shields up and it's just yeah. like waiting for the attack. But you're saying I put, I, I dropped my shield and I was like, look, I'm a human. Like I look like you, yes. I bleed like you, yep. I, I feel like you. And then by doing so that, I mean, that's scary, right? That's, that's terrifying and it's, and it's vulnerable and it opens you up to be hurt. It does like quite literally. Yeah. But it sounds like by doing that, um, obviously in a way that, I mean, there's, you know, you're not stupid about it. You're not just like, hey, I'm here if you want to shoot me. But, you know, like in this in this space where like you're like, we have a common goal. I'm going to make the first move of um, openness. Mm-hmm. And it was returned. Yes. 
and then one by one people start dropping their shields and they can start interacting and having a discussion i I just think that's so beautiful i think you know for me it's the core lesson of the non-violent sort of civil rights and human rights movement is that if we are prepared for war and battle that's what we will receive but if we are prepared to love people as flawed as all human beings are, all of us, mm-hmm. <laughs> if we're prepared to love other human beings through the difficult conversations, that's how we actually find the common ground to create a more full and equitable society. It's fantastic. And I keep, I'm just thinking about like one of the first things you said is that like your religion and your beliefs is kind of what led you into the space. And, yeah. and I feel like that is also um, a, a type of just like everything we're talking about, like Christ is the Prince of Peace, right? Yes. And, and like, if we're going into conversations of this us versus them or this warlike mentality, that's not emulating our faith or our religion or true principles of the gospel. Um, And I just think it's so beautiful the way that you were able to take this, this love and belief in Christ and this background that you had had and implement those principles with the church of Jesus Christ and with the people in this area who many of them are people of faith. Yeah. And I don't know, it's just really, really impressive. It's it's been such a gift to me to get to do that work. And I have, so my my parents converted to the the church um, before they had me. I was born in the church. Um, And the church was very important to both of them, especially to my father. Um, My father passed away the first four-ish months of the pandemic. and he, you know, we had sometimes a difficult relationship. Uh, when I came out as trans, my whole family left my life for 10 years because oh it was just not something they understood, right? And so we had to find a way back to each other. Um, and I think that was my first introduction to um, this bridge building was with my family, um, was loving them first and listening to them, putting my shield down, right, and putting my defenses down and reforming a loving familial bond. And when I sat in the, in some of the rooms in, in Salt Lake, that first meeting that we went up to Salt Lake to meet with uh, church officials, I felt not only the presence of Christ and God, but I felt my father, you know, and I, and I told the elders that, and I wept (laughs) because he uh, had passed not that long, uh, you know, still pretty fresh. And, it just told them that I felt his presence and that I felt guided and and loved and felt like this was fulfilling my purpose. Um, and I hope that I was helping them fulfill their purpose as well. And I felt there was something guiding us um, to do this work together. You know, Christ was is our advocate. <laughs> and so to do advocacy work um, together with the church, a church that I love, right, with other churches that I'm not as familiar with, but also love them, um, is such an honor. And I truly hope that, you know, through this work, we can find ways to be greater and greater advocates for each other. Yeah. You know, Michael, we ended this conversation hoping to talk about, like, you know, building bridging uh like building bridges in politics and with our communities can we talk a little bit about your family like sure how did you know after like after 10 years of of being more or less estranged how did you decide it was time to come back or like how did that happen uh it was a long road um (laughs) and it wasn't an easy road um you know when i came out as trans uh that was you know this was 1999 so um not a popular word at the time it wasn't in media you know this wasn't something that people knew anything about and so my parents were very afraid and very upset and also grieving right because they had pictured a very different life for me Mm. um and i was 
ready to live my own life and ready to sort of explore who I truly am and go after that in every way that I could. And, you know, those two things are at odds with each other. Right. Um, so my, my parents, you know, were very afraid and were upset and all of the things that parents of that time were with no knowledge and no resources. There weren't the kinds of parent groups that exist today. Right. And so, we just didn't have a vocabulary to even talk to each other. And it was very emotionally charged because we were, you know, I was excited and then angry that they were not excited for me yeah, and not supportive. in such different places. Yes, totally different places. And so, you know, there were, there was a lot of silence. There were a lot of very difficult phone calls that didn't go well in the beginning. Um, a lot of time, many years of not even talking to each other. And then, small moments, you know, where we would sort of see each other's lives in, in a visit, right. Or in a a sort of happenstance meeting. Uh, I remember, um, oh gosh, I don't know when this was, what day or what year. Um, but I was going to visit my girlfriend who was, uh, living in the Midwest and was flying and I got stuck in a snowstorm in Memphis, um, and was going to have to spend the night in the airport by myself. And I was, I think 20. (laughs) So I was still a baby. Um, And I looked really gender ambiguous at the time. And so faced a lot of hostility in general life because of that. You know, lots of people asking me, are you a boy or a girl? Like what's happening here? You know, and feeling, you know, like they had a right to understand that. And there was someone who was working in the, in the airport doing janitorial things who took offense to how I looked and was saying really awful things to me and trying to, you know, really engage with me in a not good way. So I got on a payphone. This was before I had a cell phone, um, called my dad because he was close and I knew his number. <laughs> and I just said, I just need you to talk to me. I, we, you know, just be on the phone. I was like, we don't even have to really talk. I'll listen to whatever you want to say, but I just need you to be here for a few minutes. And he heard the person who was harassing me. And he said, what is happening? I hear something that doesn't sound okay. Are you all right? And I was like, I'll be okay if you just stay on the phone with me. And he he did for a few minutes and then was like, okay, I've got to go talk to your stepmom. And I thought he was angry at me. I thought he just couldn't talk to me. And then I heard in the background after, you know, about 30 seconds of talking to my stepmother, the door closed loudly. And I was like, what just happened? Did dad leave the house? Is he that upset? And she was like, he left. He's coming to get you. And I was like, what? And she was like, I was like, no, stop him. He doesn't need to come get me. I have a flight out in the morning. And she was like, no, no, he's already gone. He'll be there in, you know, whatever number of hours look for him. And she was like, he heard what was happening and he'll be there, you know? And like, he came to Memphis, picked me up. We barely talked. He drove me to my girlfriend's house in a whole nother state than he lived in and then Memphis. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Met my girlfriend on the doorstep of her of her home. We prayed together and then he went home. You know, so like we had these little moments throughout those ten years where we sort of saw each other's lives briefly and then eventually that just got us to a place where we were ready to apologize to each other first, mm-hmm. you know, and say, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I wasn't there for you. I'm sorry. I didn't listen to you more and I want to do that now. And then we just started over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's really beautiful. And like this, like your, your dad, he had trouble understanding and yeah. it sounded like you had trouble being misunderstood as well. And yeah, but the love was still there. It was, it was. And that love is what, 
gets us through any challenging time, right? And that's that love is what all relationships are based on, right? Whether it's familial love or friendship love or just the love of other human beings, that love is what we can build on to get past anything that's difficult, any miscommunications, any not knowing of one another, any division. That's so powerful. That's fantastic. You're so impressive. Oh, no. <laughs> no, just... like, like really you are. Um, and I, I want to touch back on something you said at the very beginning, that living in this area is yeah. difficult, but it builds emotional resilience. Yeah. And I can just tell you're an incredibly emotionally resilient person. Uh, um, and it's amazing how you've gone through so many challenges and trials and have not become bitter. Uh, um, you don't feel vindictive towards others. Yeah. And what is your secret? <laughs> what, what's the Michael Soto plan? For <laughs> we need to know. <laughs> Y'all are so sweet. Oh my gosh. Um, not being afraid of those emotions and being able to name them when I have them, you know, and say, I'm hurt right now. I'm very sad right now. Um, I'm angry right now. And being able to share that with other people without blaming them for it, right? Owning my emotions and the experience that I'm having talking through those things, being open and vulnerable with people. Uh, I cry a lot when I do public speaking and not on purpose, but because I'm moved, you know, and I don't want to hide that from people. I want people to know that it's okay to be a human being who's experiencing sorrow or joy or pain or frustration or whatever the things are. And, you know, that's just owning that as a person, you know, this is, these are the emotions I'm experiencing. These are, um, the actions associated with that are the things that have brought me to these emotions and and this is how I'm going to show up, right? I'm going to be very vulnerable. I'm going to be very open. And sometimes people use that against me or that can end up hurting me in some ways, but not losing faith that being vulnerable and open is the way to continue to build real and authentic relationships. Yeah, to find the right people. Exactly. Because right you do. You really do. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do to build bridges with when the person on the you know quote unquote other side doesn't want a bridge there? Oh gosh, that is such a good question. Oh my <laughs> yeah. goodness. And, and let me just say like what I've just been experiencing like the last twelve hours or so. Yeah. So, you know, we've been talking about like what happened in Arizona yeah. with the non discrimination ordinance and and you know the, the church was 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 officially in favor of it. They signed on to letters, yep. but a lot of the church members weren't. Right. And so the, the main, a lot of the pushback came from members of the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just like, sometimes I wonder like, like, you know, the church can say, like, we like this and be like, actually we, we don't. Right. <laughs> um, and so, so, you know, what do you do when it just feels like, is what I'm doing going to matter? Oh my gosh. I feel that all the time. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I really resonate with this question. Um, you know, what I do is want to trust myself and my internal compass and, you know, kind of the, the hopes and the belief and calling that I have, right. To do this work, to make the world a more equitable place. Um, and when people are resistant to building relationships, what I try to do is ask questions, um, and get really curious about them as people, because that's ultimately, you know, all people want other people to know them better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really lean into relationship building skills and I just am like, okay, you know what? Let's not talk about politics at all. Can you tell me about your family, your childhood, you know, and share back and forth our, li- our lived experience on multiple different levels. Sometimes don't talk about anything political or work or anything like that for many, many meetings and, you know, months, even <laughs> if not longer and just build a new friend. 
right? And just say, you know what, that's okay. We don't have to go there, but I would love to know you as a person. And that's going to make a big difference in the end Um, because that's what does make a difference, right? Is letting people into your life and them letting you into their life. Yeah, you know, I had a really awful experience over the summer where someone was kind of like antagonistic towards me when I was giving a presentation. Yeah. And then I tried to chat with them after I offered them a copy of my book and they said they didn't want to read it. Yeah. And I was like, how dare you not want to get to know me? Like that's what was going on in my head. <laughs> and, you know, I wish like going back and it was a, it was a tough experience, but just I wish I could have thought like, I really want to understand you better. Yeah. I really want to see you better because yeah. at the time I was just focusing on like the rejection I was feeling totally. and not on trying to see that person, which I think is a normal thing. Like it it's is. not like I'm not a human being. Right. Right. Who, um, but, but, you know, having that grace of like, okay, I just want to understand you and get to know you. Yeah. Um, that's really powerful. I think it's really important to remember that we all just want to be seen, right? Like as human beings, we have a, a deep need to be seen by other human beings. And so when I'm not feeling seen, what I try to do is one, I honor that I'm not feeling that and feeling rejected and hurt a little bit, right? Um, or a lot. Um, and then try to offer that to the person that I'm receiving, getting that from, right? And it, this also goes back to, uh, I think, another lesson from uh, my, my youth in the church um, is that I believe that leadership is always by example and by doing the unfun things. And a lot of that means showing up for other people, even when you know they're not going to show up for you. So going to their event, setting up chairs, bringing food, right? Doing all of those things. Go and do it. That's what matters first. it, It sounds like when you're talking about this, again, with this imagery of like, like a canyon and there's two sides, right? And you're trying to build this bridge. And it sounds like you're not offended or mad or even really like disturbed if you're building most of the bridge yeah right yeah um because you value that connection exactly and maybe they don't want to finish their end of the bridge right now right maybe they never will but maybe in three years they're like actually i need that bridge and then the works there are like they can walk across and you're on the other side exactly and that that just takes so it's so graceful it's such a graceful like that's amazing. It's more fun to just name call and tell, think, say that people are dumb. Enough. Well, it's easier <laughs> for sure. And it's easier, like you're talking about name your emotions. It's so much easier to sit in the secondary emotion of anger. It is. And just yeah. like, I hate you. And it's and it makes sense because life feels more clean cut when there are two sides. It does. Yeah. Yeah. But you miss out on relationship and love and growth. Yep. Yeah. And you miss out on... <laughs> really truly experience i think the body of christ right mm-hmm. the um the, the amazing civil society that that our country has turned into and benefiting from that that experience of oneness with other people right because we do have that we just we have to let go of a lot of noise to experience it and our own noise especially <laughs> my yeah. own noise i have to do a lot of work around that um and sometimes it can be exhausting being the one, you know, building most of the bridge. But ultimately, in the, the day, I like building the bridge itself. Like, that's a worthy project in and of it itself, is. you know? And so I keep doing it. You know, Michael, as you've been talking, a number of hymns have come to my mind um, where, like, Larry Saint hymns yeah. that are about, like, like going to battle and like fighting sure. the foe. I was and, thinking the same yeah, thing. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I thought of that, and you know, when I was younger, I would think about that. I'm like, I would think about like who we were fighting against, like mm-hmm. who the foe was. Mm-hmm. And as we've been thinking, I'm like, well, what is the actual enemy? And I think it's my inability to see people. Yes. Like the foe I want to fight is like my judgments towards other people. Yep. And that's what the savior talked about. 
monster on the mount. Yes. And and so, you know, if I'm trying to like like the battle I need to fight is like making sure that I am treating people in Christ like ways and seeing them like as this capacity to grow and expand and learn. Exactly. Exactly. Because that's what the adversary doesn't want us to do, right? Like that is actually the thing that we are fighting against is that internal compulsion to reject other people, judge other people, right? Do all those things that we're not here to do. So Michael, you know, as we're talking about like seeing the, like the enemy inside of us, like not yeah. seeing people fully, have you had any experiences like, like being seen and trying to see other people? Yes, absolutely. I think one of the most formative experiences for me was uh, my relationship with my grandmother, my dad's mom. Um, you know, when I came out, my, my grandmother didn't know what transgender was um, she's she was an immigrant to this country she is from where from mexico spoke mostly spanish um raised in a very different time and place and you know when i came to my uncle's funeral wearing a suit that was really hard for her to understand what was happening right and when i started hormones my voice started changing these were things that she had no context for and i remember I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time, and she was there um, visiting my cousin's husband who had been wounded in the Iraq War. And we were in the Walter Reed family housing. It was the middle of the night, um, and it was starting to snow. We had gone to dinner as a family, and you know, we're trying to spend time together. Things were a little awkward. Um, I was making some tea and just kind of getting ready to go home, and my grandmother came downstairs we had not really had a lot of interactions since I had come out. And this is about five and a half years after I'd come out and started transitioning. And we sat there in this quiet kitchen, snow falling outside, sort of very picturesque DC moment. Um, I made us both tea and wasn't really sure what was going to happen here, but I knew she wanted to talk about something. And she sat across uh, the island from me and she took a couple sips of her tea and then just looked at me and said, Miho. And this is the first time she had ever called me Miho. And so I was like, well, what's happening here? She said, Miho. That's, that's like a way of saying like dear or my yeah, son. Yeah. yeah. In, a, in a masculine yeah. sentence. Right. And so uh, she said, Miho, I just have one question for you. And I was like, okay. A uh, little, little apprehensive, you know, a little like, Oh, not, don't know if I'm prepared for this. So I said, okay, grandma, ask away. And she said, are you happy? And I just looked at her and said, yeah, I'm really happy. I really love my life, and I feel very fulfilled, and I'm very happy. And she just kind of considered that for a few moments, took another sip of tea, and looked at me and said, okay, then I'm good. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I do have one request, though. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, okay, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not sure what this is going to be. And she just looked at me and said, just don't have bad facial hair. Too many men have bad facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, Grandma, I can, I will do my best. I don't know what that's going to look like yet because I barely had any facial hair at the time. But that's so cute. I'll do my best, you know. And you know, for her, it just took that reassuring of I was happy. That's what she wants for my life, right? That's what she wanted for my life. And she saw that we were able to start a new relationship. And just like that, it was all different. She never used the wrong pronoun again. Mm-hmm. Never used the wrong name. You know. That's all it takes. Just yeah. loving people. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Michael. Yeah. Appreciate that. And you know, you said that you you know were, were raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. What, talk to talk to us about your faith now. Yeah, my faith now. I mean, I love the church. Uh, I've always loved the church. It's the only church I've ever gone to or been a member of. Um, I'm still a member of the church. Um, it can be challenging, I think, as a LGBTQ person, especially a trans person, actively practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but all of the things that I value most about me <laughs> and about my life, um, I learned through my family and the church. And so, you know, like I said, the gospel is the reason why I do the work that I do, right? And so it's foundational to my life. Um, you know, I still read the scriptures every day. I still, you know, participate to the greatest extent that I can um, because. I love God and I feel like, you know, this church, I love this church. I love the people in this church, like y'all. I love the relationships and community that we have and there's nothing else like it, you know? And so it's something that I don't ever want to give up on. And it's something that I don't ever want to be away from. And mm -hmm. I truly hope that through the process of revelation and through the process of growing as human beings and as institutions, that we all get to more fully participate someday and you know be members and be a part of this community together yeah. well yeah. i cannot agree enough with everyone who said that we needed to meet with with you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because i'm just so impressed like you you just like have this energy that's it's like almost palpable the goodness that's emanating from you and i'm just like i have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation thank Aww. you so much for sharing your wisdom and your heart well thank you for having me it's been so fun to be with you all today and just thanks i'm so honored to get to have this conversation with you yeah thank you so much michael yeah. appreciate it thank you for joining us today if you have enjoyed this or other episodes please consider leaving a review following us on instagram youtube or facebook at questions from the closet or sharing this podcast with someone you love and as always please remember that we do not represent the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints or brigham young university we're not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think or what to do. You heard three perspectives today, and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and hear a wide variety of experiences. If you'd like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset at gmail.com. Until, Until next time. time.